The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 155 of the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. And this week, my guest author is dark dystopian superhero fantasy, its debut author, Jared K. Chapman. Uh, It's a lot of fun. We have a really great chat. Uh, Jared was just a blast to talk to. He and I I spoke for about an hour and a half on the uh, pre-show and post a little bit catch up a little bit and uh, you're going to really enjoy this you're about to hear some of that where we we discuss his inspiration for this book and how it originally began as a graphic novel hear a little bit about his writing from childhood you know and along those lines we discuss generational inspiration as a writer uh you know lots of interesting things he's also a 2020 NaNoWriMo winner which is awesome that uh, that he uh, did that he's working on his his next books and uh, use that to do it and when he does his reading today of his debut novel to have or have not he's got a, in that reading you get to hear this awesome blues brothers reference that if you know those movies if you know their their uh, music then you'll catch the reference so look for that and you know and as jared and i were talking about it and you're going to hear some of this uh, again going back to our childhood you get to hear that he's inspired very much by that 80s time frame and, and some of that stuff that's going on so it's lots of cool stuff and it's a great conversation you're gonna really really enjoy that so make sure that you are staying tuned for that and don't forget to hit those links in the show notes so you can find out more about jared and uh, and his uh, facebook group that he's a part of all of that is in there uh, you can follow the show on facebook twitter instagram youtube any of those kinds of social media aspects you can follow along or, of course, you can also reach out to the show via email at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. I have been responding to several of the emails that I've had recently and uh, still working through them because it's like for every four or five I'm responding to, I'm getting another six or seven. So it's really awesome that there's there's so many people out there checking out the show and wanting to come on and be a part of it. And I'm feeling really, really lucky uh, to have that, but... I man just trying to keep up is really something taking that time off was not a good idea it seems uh, when it comes to uh to this but anyway uh rest assured i'm reaching out to all of you and we're gonna we're gonna work something out and get you on here and uh along those lines emailing me is one way to reach out to me you can also if you're just a fan of the show if you just like what you hear and you have a comment something you want to say leave me a voicemail by calling 660-851- one one four six and i will play that on an upcoming episode so make sure you do that it's gonna be a lot of fun as for me i i don't have my pre-order yet for my next novel a novel idea is the name of it it's a thriller actually what i'm doing is i'm putting the final touches on it got some last minute additions to the beginning of it a little little section i needed to add something i didn't think of before Plus, uh, you know, there's always there's always the other things that you don't know about or that you didn't think about beforehand, like author notes. You know, the author's <laughs> writing something from the author, uh, that kind of stuff. You know, so I, I'm putting that kind of stuff together right now. 
I'd been so focused on the edits and uh, getting it put together like that that I forgot about those things. So hopefully, you know, maybe later on this week, I'll have it ready. But as I've been promising you, I will let you know first. So stay tuned real soon uh, when I have that pre-order available. I'm going to let you know. I am shooting for a December 31st, 2020 release date. Yes, New Year's Eve. So <laughs> my plan... My plan for 2020 was to release at least two books, so I'm going to sneak one in last minute, so that way at least I got 50% for the year. <laughs> but uh, we'll see. Uh, that's what I'm shooting for right now, and I'm I'm going to do, I'm pulling out all the stops to make that happen. So stay tuned. I'm going to let you know as soon as it's ready to go. And of course, I want to thank my sponsor, Scrivener. Uh, they are making this writing possible. Uh, I do all of my writing through them because I have, I have both their desktop version, which is also on my laptop. I also have their app, which is on my, not only my phone, but also on my iPad. So, and anyway, and I've shared some pictures on social media. So if you follow the show on social media, or if you follow my author pages on social media, you see some pictures that I share of, you know, I write everywhere that I can. I, I'm always looking for that opportunity. And Scrivener allows me to pick up right where I left off whether I'm working on novel idea, whether I'm working on, you know, I've got another haunted road story that I've been working on. I've got my 80s inspired superhero story that I've been working on. So many different stories, but no matter where it is, Scribner allows me to pick up right where I left off. And I can, I, I know about my characters. I know about the chapters. I can move the chapters around, which has been very handy here lately with novel idea. And there's just so much that you can do. Check out this advertisement for Scrivener and listen up for that coupon code so you can save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. And I also want to give a big shout out to my first podcast network that I'm a part of, which is Pop Goes the Culture Network, home to about a dozen different shows. There's the flagship show, Pop Goes the Culture Podcast, the Backlot Alamo Draft House, which, oh gosh, I, I miss that show. I really miss that show. They haven't been on very much lately because, of course, you know, can't go to the theaters. It sucks. Really sucks. Uh, but there's also the, the Way Awesome show, a brand new show called 417 Funko Podcast. Lots and lots of great stuff on there, as well as Multiverse Tonight and Two Deads Review. So many other good shows. So go on over there and check them out. Click that link in the show notes for Pop Goes the Culture, and uh, see everything that they have to offer. I also want to thank my other podcast network, Project Entertainment Network, home to 36 amazing shows with a wide variety of entertainment for you to partake. <laughs> uh, whether you're looking for writing, or comedy, or monsters, or baseball, 
or uh, faith-based shows. Just tons of shows in there and lots of variety. Check out this advertisement. You're going to love it. This is Jim Adams from Monster Attack. Hey, if you remember that monster movie from your childhood that got it all started for you, the one that really got you interested in monster movies, horror movies, sci-fis, and cult films, then you're going to want to listen every week to Monster Attack. We look at some of our favorite monster movies from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. With new episodes uploaded every Monday, it's Monster Attack. Exclusively on the Project Entertainment Network. <laughs> All right. Also right here on the Project Entertainment Network, just like me. And, uh, you know, I think uh, without further ado, it's time to go ahead and get us on over to our interview with this week's wonderful author, Jared K. Chapman. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome back to a wonderful new episode this week. We are sitting down with new author, Jared K. Chapman. Jared is an author, filmmaker, and educator, a native Californian who spent his formative years splitting his time between California and Canada. His debut novel, To Have or Have Not, is a post-apocalyptic, dystopian, superpowered sci-fi fantasy and book one of the To Have or Have Not series. Buckle up your seatbelts, everybody. We are joined by Jared right now. Jared, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so happy we finally got this worked out. It, it's been yeah. uh, been a, a crazy couple of months, I know, for me, and then uh, you were having things going on as well, so I'm glad this uh, this finally worked out. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You had a bunch of uh, stuff going on. You said you were booked all the way through, and... Um, I'm just glad that this finally happened. <laughs> I am too. I am too. So, and it's, I've been looking forward to this. You, uh, you sent me the email and the, the picture and I was looking at the book cause you know, I got to check everybody out make sure that they really are an author who's published and, uh, oh man, this book just like grabbed me from the start. So, uh, oh, nice. before we get into that, tell us a little bit about you. I mean, it's, it's interesting to hear about you being a filmmaker and educator in California. Mm-hmm. What, what do you do? Yeah, so um, actually for the last 11 years now, um, I've been working on my PhD in social psychology. Um, I transferred out to grad school uh, 11 years ago to this nice oasis uh, just east of L.A. called Claremont uh, to go to Claremont Graduate University. And um, I, I got my master's in 2012 along the way, so it's not like I wasn't doing anything in those 11 years. Um, and then... Uh, I ended up meeting a, a woman around from around here. We got married, and uh, my kids from a previous marriage moved in with us, and that kind of uh, made everything take a lot longer, which is why it's taken me this long. But I've always been uh, fascinated by uh, social psychology. Uh, I study religious extremism in particular, mm. and a lot of like group dynamics, uh, and. You know, but I always have had this creative, creative side too. Like I started writing my first novel when I was like in fifth grade <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was like some like sci-fi, like star Wars meets star Trek kind of thing. <laughs> and, yeah. And, um, you know, I was reading, you know, like Stephen King and Ray Bradbury and, you know, all, watching star Wars, star Trek, sneaking into, you know, like horror movies 
you know, the slasher films and stuff and reading superhero comic books. And, you know, that's just like me. I'm this child of the 80s, you know, did my teens in the 90s. And uh, just all of that kind of nostalgia plays into who I am. Mm -hmm. I I love going to like trivia competitions and stuff. And I generally we do my wife and I uh, the first time we did one, it was a uh, a horror one. And um, we 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 got first place. Because I, I just knew all these slasher, like it was all about 80s slasher stuff, and I knew everything. I, I got the Freddy Krueger answer off of the first like little tidbit, and nobody else answered for like four more answers, which means we were like 30 <laughs> or 40 points ahead. It was pretty cool, you know. So I don't know. I just I, I love. I have this like array of trivial knowledge that I have my head filled with that comes from all different places, and you really see that. Uh, in my work, I guess is what I'm trying to go with. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there's, I, there seems to be a difference between people around our age. I think I've got you about at least 10 years. I was born in the seventies gotcha. and, okay. uh, but I consider myself an eighties kid. That was my formative, uh, teenage years. Mm-hmm. So I was writing stories, you know, based on like, um, uh, you know, Chuck Norris and, uh, <sighs> Rambo and all that kind of stuff. Like my, my yeah. high school friends and I were constantly saving the school from the Russians who were about to attack us anytime. Oh, yeah. things like that. I was always writing those kinds of stories. So nice. and it seems like that generation has this different level of imagination than today. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I don't know. It, it's almost like the, uh, Lord of the Rings movies and other things, it made things, uh, today's generation, a little more fantasy, I think, than oh, yeah. uh, than what ours did. Yeah, I definitely see that. A lot of, like, the, um, I, I interact with a lot of authors that are writing in a, sim- uh, with dystopia, I consider my book mm-hmm. in a dystopia kind of realm, but I think of dystopia as, um, it's not really genre-specific, it crosses many different genres. Like, you have sci-fi, fantasy dystopias, modern-day dystopias, um, and so I'm in this group with a lot of these younger authors and you definitely see a lot more with the younger ones, the, the fantasy based and magic based kind of like worlds that they were creating. Yeah. 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 I, I think so too. And I mean, I could be way off, but that's just the way <laughs> having, <laughs> having talked to over 150 authors so far on the show. I mean, it just, it's just the way I've felt about it so far, but who knows? But uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, the book sounds amazing. When did you start this? Um, I actually wrote it, um, I, I believe I began in 2012, but it might have been 2013. Um, as a, I started writing it as a graphic novel. And um, I actually began um, because I had this uh, thought in my head. I was thinking, um, what if you took to have or have not, I'm sorry, uh, to be or not to be and combined it with the haves and have nots. And I was like, how would that sentence be? <laughs> and, and then I, I was like, Oh, that's to have or have not. And all of this is happening in my head actually while I'm driving and my wife is like sitting next to me and I'm thinking <laughs> about this. And then I'm, and I start saying things cause she's used to me just like starting things in the middle of a, after I've already been thinking about it and she has no idea any of the stuff that came before. And so it's like, how does this sound to have or have not? You know, and she's like, okay. <laughs> and then I, so I was thinking about it, like, how would that look? And I was like, oh, like a numerum. Cause I remember when I was a kid, my mom, um, I remember, I used to be sick a lot and I remember sitting in a hospital, 
uh, waiting room and she uh, would write on me with her fingers and I'd have to try and like figure out like what letter she was writing or number oh, she was no. writing. Yeah. And so she did, I C U R A Q T. <laughs> and I actually have that in the book. Um, like a, there's a, like a reference to it, but um, you know, that kind of stuck with me that, that idea that you could, you know, spell out a sentence or stuff with just having letters and, and numbers to make like, it's called numerum. And so the to have or have not title with the two H V O R <laughs> I've lost track H V N O T. Um, it, that struck me when I was thinking to have or have not. And I was like, Oh, make it as a numerum. Then I was like, when would that be, be used? <laughs> and, and it, it struck me that that was similar to like a tattoo that would be on like Holocaust uh, victims, you know, like mm -hmm. what they would be tattooed as like an identification number. And anyway, so I started writing that in about 2013 with that title and the idea with this drawing of with like the, the number um, being cut into uh, the person's arm, except for the, the H's were actually fours. And there was no T at the end. And he actually, he was, um, cutting the, uh, fours to make them H's and putting a T at the end. Oh. So on the image, he, he made it his, his numerum to say to like his, um, identification code to be that numerum that says to have or have not. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I thought it was like a striking visual. Um, and it really represented like this world. And I really wanted to write a story from the oppressed perspective. But I wanted to be something that, you know, people hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what if it was a world of people where the, the majority had superpowers and the minority, the press, because usually you see like the people who are superpowered or whatever, they're the ones like put into camps because the normal people are scared of them and whatnot. So this takes place after that, where they've won. And now the normals are in the camps and they're being oppressed and they're subservient to these superpowered overlords kind of thing. And I thought that that was really interesting. So I started writing that in 2013 as this graphic novel and just from the pr perspective of that powerless individual living in this world where there's these superpowered people, but even in the superpowered world, which kind of presents itself as a utopia, you have um, this hierarchy of which supers are actually which I call them the mighty, um, which mighty are actually more mighty than the others. So at the very top is this caste, or, well, it's a caste system. So at the very top are the, is the monastery and the monastery are all the telepaths who I call seer omnipaths. Well, that's the highest level. So there's seer mm -hmm. telepaths, but they can see into the future, past, present. And, um, then they can speak, you know, telepathically to one another or to animals or to tech, technopaths you know to technology yeah. and and so those individuals are at the very top basically they stop any bad things from happening before it can happen but really that only applies to the mighty so the mighty can do things to these powerless individuals that the monastery doesn't do anything about so it really creates this um that have and have not dynamic that class system that break up kind of thing that, that you expect in a dystopian society even though it presents itself as a utopia yeah. Oh, wow. That sounds incredible. Uh, backing up just a little bit, I gotta, I gotta know because you, you struck me there. When when inspiration hits you and you're mm -hmm. driving along, 
did you just keep that in your head or did you like tell your wife, grab some paper, grab something to write on? I had to start writing this down for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I think so when, when it hits me in the, I, I just have to get it out. Mm-hmm. And as long as I get it out, then I end up re- like remembering it. Um, at least parts of it. I wish that I had a pen of paper all the time or <laughs> like sometimes when I was driving, I'd turn on the, uh, you know, voice recorder and I'd record my thoughts and stuff if, if I didn't have somebody there to speak them out to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I tended to be like, if I could get them out, as long as I could get them out, I could speak them out. Then I, I, I would remember, um, what I needed to, to do with it. Uh, so oh, I should yeah, have okay. her have a pad of paper. All the time. <laughs> maybe I will, maybe I will forget some stuff. I, I remember in high school, actually, I used to write poetry a lot in high school and, um, I would drive, I, I lived like 30 miles away from my school cause I lived in a, on a farm mm. then had to drive to the city to go to school. And, um, my cousins, I drove them back and forth cause I was the oldest. And, um, so one of the cousins I'd have them pull out a pad of paper and I dictate poems to him while, I, while we were driving home or driving to school. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I should be still doing that. I need, a, I need somebody to, to be my walking dic, dic, dictaphone. Or yeah. <laughs> well, you reminded me of in 98 when my wife was very, very pregnant. It was the day before our third daughter uh, was, was going to be born. And so we had the day off. And I had this idea for a story. And my wife was like, oh, well, tell me about it. And next thing I know, she's got a pad of paper out. And we're going over the notes. And I'm cooking us lunch. And... And because uh, she can't get up, but mm-hmm. you know she's just sitting there like, oh, we're just building the story. And I still have that notepad, so one of these days <laughs> I'm gonna get back to it. I mean, it's it's 98, but still, you know, I've I've got that. And it reminded me when you said that, I thought, oh my gosh, that's that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta get back to that at some point too. Like I've got when I graduated high school, I graduated in '96, and okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and so there was a. Uh, you know, uh, people give you gifts and I got notepads, these like awesome, you know, like moleskin or whatever, you know, kind of notebooks. And, um, I started writing a novel back then. And so I have all these notes for this novel. I created like a language and, and like, <laughs> like alphabet and stuff like all oh, this, like is huge, this huge epic kind of thing. But I never, never really finished it. It just kept writing and writing and writing. And, uh, I've decided, you know, once I finished this, this whole uh, series that I'm working on now, I think I want to go back and revisit that and turn that into a series. There you go. That would be good. That would be good. Now you said that this, uh, to have or have not started as a graphic novel. Uh, Yes. Now how, what was the process behind that? And at what point did it change to a full blown novel? Right. So, um, you know, I had that idea and um, I drew, drew basically upon um, all, all my history, like I was telling you about, like what I read, what I liked, what I, um, watched and all that stuff to, to formulate this novel. Cause I thought, or this graphic novel, cause I wanted it to be set in the future, but this idea that, um, it, it, there's all these tidbits of things that we as a reader would read it now and know, but through like that game telephone. Right. So it's oh, like, okay, yeah. yeah. So it's like, um, one of the, I describe one of the characters as he, oh, he looks just like, my dad gave me this, uh, Jedi, uh, Jedi, I think it's called, um, and he, uh, his name was like Mace Window or something, you know, and so, yeah. you know, like, and that describes the character because 
now you know it's he's kind of like you know Samuel Jackson, <laughs> and um, and uh, so anyway, uh, I'm drawing upon that kind of uh, background as uh, as I'm trying to write it, like to like put these tidbits of information in there. So as I'm writing it through, like this pays homage and has so much that's that's drawn from our world, but twisted and turned. Um, I, I actually like to take classic tropes that people are familiar with too, and like kind of turn them on their heads. So I'm doing that constantly throughout the book. And so in my process of the graphic novel was just kind of like create each, it was 12 issues and each issue kind of um, presented more and more of this world and then more and more of what would be familiar. Okay. But, but twisted in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I finished that in about two weeks. I think I wrote out the, the graphic novel two weeks and it, it's that it's really, I don't want to say easy. It's not easy to write these things unless you like know what you're doing and you have your story. But writing a graphic novel is much easier than writing a full blown novel because you're just writing what, what you're supposed to see in the panel and then what, what it says, what the characters are saying. Right. Mm-hmm. So really it's, it's just the, an outline, like a structure of, of a full blown novel. So when in 2013, I teamed up with a friend of mine, Derek Smith, who's an amazing artist. And, um, he, he was drawing some images out and we were like, okay, let's, let's do this. But the thing is, you know, I didn't have money. I didn't have money to pay him. Um, we were partnering to do it. Um, and he couldn't just, you know, do it without money. You know, he could only do it when he had time. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, or fortunately for him, uh, he got a gig as uh, the drummer of Led Zepp again. And, you know, he went touring the world and was, you know, touring all over the place. And really, when he came back, you know, you want to spend time with his family, not necessarily get down and draw, you know, sure. to work. Yeah. Right. So um, I kind of sat on it for a while. And then around 2018, I kind of, I was like, I, I, I think this is an awesome story. Like, it, I, I feel like it needs to get out there. What can I do? And, you know, I made films and uh, wrote screenplays and stuff. And you, with all of those, it requires other people. You know, you can't get your work done without other people. Um, with the graphic novel, I needed an artist because I'm not an artist. And then I realized with a novel, it's me. Like, I just got to mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. So, so I took that as the bones and I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And, uh, I think I completed it in about three months. Uh, got to about a hundred thousand words. Uh, yeah, I think it was like just shy of a hundred thousand words. And I was like, this is awesome. It was just like, like flowed out of me. Like it was meant to be. And like I, <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, I, I built, built it up, built up the world, really fleshed it out, got a lot more into this world than what the graphic novel had done, a lot more into the character building. Um, and then I started. So I edited for self editing from 2018 to January of 2020. It went beyond that, but January 2020 is where I want to get to. So. So self-editing this whole time, constantly looking at it. And every time I look at it, I'm like, this is wrong. This is wrong. I need to change this. And, you know, like every time I look at it, I'm like, I know that feeling. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
So uh, in 2000, it was actually New Year's Eve 2020. Um, I was at my mom's house and my sister-in-law, uh, or I'm sorry, my sister and brother-in-law. And um, we were talking and I was like, I have this novel. I also had a musical that I was trying to pitch too. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And the musical is actually mentioned in this book because I, I really liked it. Um, and, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to pitch like multiple projects. Like I have screenplays that are out there and I had this musical I was trying to pitch, um, and was struggling with. And, uh, and then I had this novel. So I was talking to my sister about the things I want to do. Cause I want to be, you know, I want to write. That's really what I want to do. Um, and with my PhD in social psychology, I thought it'd be cool to do like teach on the side and write full time, you know, kind of yeah. thing. So, um, I, I was talking to them and my sister was saying that she had a friend who has published several books and the way that she ended up publishing, um, or getting the confidence uh, and whatnot was to join a thing called self publishing school. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but, um, it's a Chandler bolts, uh, thing. And then they have a fiction side that Rami Vance is in charge of. And, um, and really what I knew about what I, I knew it was good, but I didn't have like the confidence and I needed the confidence and I needed the knowledge to know what to do next. And, and so I joined and my mom, she, she paid for it for me because she wanted to, you know, invest in this. She thought that what you're doing is awesome. We want to make that happen. And, uh, so I joined. And, um, I, I went through the courses and everything and realized I, I wrote what they said you should be right, how you should be writing, like the structure and everything. Like I didn't know. Oh, that's a great feeling. Yeah. Like I didn't know that like it was called these things, like the milestones and stuff that they had talked about, but I had done all of that, uh -huh. you know? And I was like, okay, okay. I'm confident now. Now, now how do I get it done? So then the next module is like, do this, do this, do this. So I got that, put that all together, did everything that I could so I could launch it, um, and then end up launching it in uh, September. Man, that's, that is a fantastic story, and I love, there, there, I love everything about your story with that too. And there's so much of it that I can completely relate to because it was, right. you know, we were talking before the show. I mean, yeah, I finished my novel, the first draft, in 2015. Well, I guess it'd be technically 2016. And I spent the next two years editing mm -hmm. and putting it together and fixing things and and yeah, yeah it's uh, I I didn't take a school I just I started watching YouTube videos mm -hmm. and I just yeah. I had uh, my writing group that was supporting me and they had put out some books and we were kind of supporting each other and I finally was just like you know what I I've got to just do this I think I've made it as be as good as I can and and it was just finally to one of those days just swallowing my not my pride but just get some nerve and say, all right, hit enter and push mm -hmm. publish, you know, and, and do it. And it, man, you, you know, your world just changes once that book is available. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and it's crazy too. Like I've had people who want my autograph, you know, they want signed copies <laughs> yeah. and it blows my mind. I'm like, wow, like this is, that's awesome. Like, I, I got it carried <laughs> at my local, uh, my university's bookstore and they're like, yeah, we're going to buy 10 copies and can you come in and sign them all? And I'm like, yeah. And this was during COVID, you know? I was yeah. Like, crap. <laughs> yeah. What was, uh, what was that feeling like when you got your first, uh, rating that was not somebody you knew your first, you know, foreigner 
radio yeah. that came in. I, I mean, it was awesome. It was so, <laughs> it was so amazing because it, it actually, um, it's not necessarily somebody that, like, I never knew this person before, but I know how they got to my book. Mm. We interacted on a Facebook group, um, that was like a science fiction Facebook group. And he said, I'm going to get your book now. And so I knew his name. Mm-hmm. And that's all, that's all I remember. And then I saw this, uh, on Goodreads and Amazon, his name pop up with the review and it practically brought me to tears because I was like, <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, like, like how, how he described it. And, and it just, it blew me, blew me away. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, that's such a good film. I'm so, so happy for you, man. This is so awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Well, so now after that came out, you started getting things ready for, for book two. And that's what you did. Uh, You're, Mm -hmm. you're a NaNoWriMo 2020 winner. I hear. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I um, ended up completing 57,000 words around, um, and that actually finished. It, it was the second book of my prequel trilogy. So I actually wrote the first book of the prequel trilogy back in uh, April uh, after um, COVID started. So actually, mm. l- let me l- let's talk about this real quick. <laughs> um, so February 29th, I had surgery on my neck to remove a. Um, a cyst the size of a baseball. And so I was, I was in recovery when, when COVID started, I was, I was laid out and and I had like a drain in my throat and stuff, you know, like I'm completely like in recovery. And two weeks in, you know, when it's March 15th, I got laid off, but I was already doing the school. I was already starting to get the book published or like getting it ready to be published. And so I was like, you know what? I just need to focus on this. And with the school, I already came in with a book, but the courses I was taking was like how to write a book. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm going to write my next book. I'm going to plan out the next thing. And in my head, like I had taken from my book, a big chunk out. That was a big chunk of exposition, like how this world came to be. And I was like, I want to flesh that out and make that into a bigger section. Uh, or like a bigger presentation kind of thing. Uh, and so, yeah, so in March uh, or April, I I spent the month and wrote um, the, it was about 40, I think it's 48,000 words for the first book in this uh, trilogy. Um, and then, so these are going to be smaller books, obviously. Uh, the next book is 56,000 words. And then I just started the third book. So I finished the first book in, in April. Um, then was I started editing it. Then I got focused on getting this book published to ever have not published. And then Nano came around. I was like, okay, this is going to motivate me to get the second book to get this prequel trilogy finished. And so I, I finished that second book thanks to Nano. And the third book I started, and I think I'm about seven thousand words into the third book. Outstanding, and yeah. that's on the uh, the prequel. The prequel, yeah. Wow. yeah. So building up this world, I call it Foundations to Fellowship City because um, in, in Tavern, not the place where they live is called Fellowship City. And so this is Foundations. And it's the, it's the story of the rise of the mighty, how they came to be, how they came to power. Outstanding, man. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, what's uh, what's your uh, possible release, you think, for uh, for that series? Oh, man. You know, given my editing timeline, (laughs) I just got to make sure that I get out of my head. Right. And just go, you know, do as well as I think I can and get it to the editor instead of like focus. Like I'm one of those people who just like perfectionist and, you know, just like it's not right yet. And so I just need to get it out and get it to the editor. So I'm hoping 
that finishing the third book here in December and then starting in January, editing all three and all, all three together. So I can have them be, have a nice consistency yeah. between them and make sure like, like I feel like it's going to present it as a much better book. The thing is the reason why they're separated in the three books is one, the first one takes place and then the second one is 15 years after the, that one. And the third one's 10 years after that one oh, because okay. it's over a longer period of time yeah. and, and it covering different people in this lineage of a family. And so, uh, yeah, so I want to, but if I can edit them, get them nice, cohesive, um, make sure like whatever I set up in one is paying off in the other, or, you know, uh, I'm hoping to have that finished. And mind you, this is taking a big leap given my previous editing experience, self-editing experience that, uh, I want to have that done like within three months. So like give myself a month on each one. Okay. Well, yeah, that's so, a good plan. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, you got to let us know when those are ready, so that uh, so that we can give a shout out on the uh, on the show and uh, share it on on uh, your social media, on our social media as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, fantastic. Oh my gosh, this is awesome, man! I I cannot wait to dive into this here in a few minutes. Uh, yeah. Where can people find and follow you? Yeah, um, so I'm on. Uh, Facebook, I have a Facebook group that's Jared K. Chapman Books, um, Jared K. Chapman author page. Um, I'm on Instagram, Jared K. Chapman. I'm on Twitter as Red Chap Creative. That was my production company. Um, and, you know, I'm on uh, Goodreads, BookBub, you know, all the usual places. But make sure it's Jared K. Chapman because there's also a Jared Chapman who is an author illustrator. That's not me. Um, <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do have some of his books cause I have a three year old. So I do have vegetables and underwear and fruits and suits, but that's, <laughs> those aren't mine. It's cool to see my name on it, but yeah, um, those aren't mine. Um, yeah. Uh, so those are the, those are probably like the best places to reach me. Um, I, I, I am actually really active in a uh, Facebook group, that's called dystopian ink. Um, so if anybody out there like loves dystopian reading dystopian books and stuff, it's a, it's an up and coming, uh, group that has a lot of amazing authors in it. Um, and, and, and readers. Um, I think those are, yeah, I think that's where you can find me. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. All right. Well, send me a link for that, uh, that Facebook group and I'll make sure and add that to, all the other links that we'll have in the show notes for your website and social media contacts, everything in there so that everybody can just, as you're listening to this, people, click the link in the show notes and you're going to get right over there to the correct Jared K. Chapman. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, if you want vegetables and underwear, you can track another <laughs> guy. But, you know, yeah. you really want this one because it's part Ready Player One, part Divergent, part Minority Report, and totally superpowered. It looks amazing. It, it's epic. And... I can't wait to dive into it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Jared, thank you so much for being part of the show. And ladies and gentlemen, time for me to step aside, hand the floor to my guest, Jared K. Chapman with To Have or Have Not. All right. Chapter one, The Line. His eyes roll under his eyelids, fluttering in harmony with the firing neurons of his dream-laden brain. Colors within this dreamscape merge into shapes and figures, but nothing so recognizable that he can focus for even a second on a single one. 
He searches the ever-changing flux of his surroundings, reaching out with non-existent hands to grapple something he cannot comprehend. Beyond his reach, a billowing, ominous cloud blooms from unfocused, blurred colors and shapes without form. They blend as one until the one is nothing but white light swirling in a luminescent vortex. Within the spiraling light, a pinprick of darkness emerges. It grows and grows into a massive figure looming just out of sight. Unable to lure the figure into view, he focuses instead on two flesh-colored forms now rising before him. They thrust their arms into the air as if to pray or surrender. Each of their left arms bears a mark. The dark blemishes cause fixation and prompt a closer examination. But as he draws nearer and nearer, the figures blur more and more, dissipating into the surrounding light. Though he cannot bring their faces into focus, dark shapes etched into the pink surface of their skin becomes clear. Are they numbers and letters of some ancient or alien alphabet tattooed upon their flesh? He clenches one of the arms with an invisible hand, perceiving the softness of the skin, sinewiness of the strong pulsating muscle within, and the hardness of the bone beneath. As he withdraws his arm through force of will alone, the alphanumerics become clear. Onk, 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 onk. An alarm clock blares as a sleep-laden young man springs upright in his bed. He wrenches his face, trying to preserve the visions from his dream. Finding nothing but frustration, he takes comfort in the familiar surroundings of his room. The reprieve is only momentary. His head begins to swell with the blaring alarm pounding in the brain, in his brain. The LED display blinks 5.46 a.m. as he slams his fist down on the off button. Shit, I'm late. With the speed and clarity that can only result from frantic desperation, the young man leaps from his bed and salvages some clothes from a huddled black and white heap on the floor. He yanks several empty hangers loose from the rod in his closet, breaking several along the way as he scrambles out of his room toward the bathroom down the small hall. Shimmying by the closed door of his little sister's room, a twinkle of hope glimmers in his still-tired eyes. He juggles his clothes and hangers in one hand, as he reaches for the bathroom handle and turns the knob, nothing. The door does not budge. He tenses as his hope flickers away. He balls his hand into a fist and pounds on the door. Rat tat tat. Zelda, I'm late. I need to get. His blonde 17-year-old's younger sister opens the door, eyeing him with intensity. Please, Zelda, I'm so late. She smirks and curtsies out of his way as he sidesteps into the bathroom, thanking her for her help. He strips off his clothes, trying to straighten them as much as possible before hanging them from the shower curtain. Spins the shower knob all the way to H and turns into the mirror for a brief examination of his reflection. He raises his jaw and checks for stubble, gliding his fingertips across his prickly chin. He plucks a plastic throwaway razor from a cup on the sink and shaves the patchy area before the mirror fogs up. Satisfied with his cleanest shape, he spins the knob back a bit towards C jumps into the steamy shower, lathers, turns once, and rinses off. Once out of the shower, he turns around and spins the knob back toward H. Steam billows out from behind the curtain as he hoists up his white boxers with a jump, followed by his undershirt and black socks. He wipes his hand across the mirror to clear the fog and brushes his teeth. The fluoride mixed with last night's alcohol still upon his breath makes him gag but he holds back the disgust, spitting out a giant pale blue glob into the sink before rinsing his mouth. 
He fetches the slightly dampened, now less wrinkled, white dress shirt from the hanger and inches it on, making sure each button is fastened to the correct hole. Next, he slides on his black slacks one leg at a time, tucks in his shirt, and buckles the belt still hanging from the loops. He slips his pre-tied, thin, black tie over his head, keeping the knot loose under his collar. His black suit jacket still perspires with shower mist as he stretches it over him and flips the lapels into place. Now dressed, he shuts off the shower and faces the mirror, wiping his hand to clear his foggy image. He slicks his hair back and grins at his reflection, fogging up again from the lingering steam. I'm on a mission from Gad. He winks at himself, calling to mind a story his father once told him a long time ago about two brothers who fought evildoers through the power of music. He opens the door to find Zelda standing impatient as ever. You done now? She asks with her arms crossed while stamping her foot in the most cliched way possible. All yours, princess. She nudges him out of the way and slams the door. Love you, she yells from inside. Love you too, he yells back. 5.56 a.m. blinks the LAD display. Shit, he exclaims, dashing for the door and heading outside. The placard affixed to the outside of his door reads 3014, which means he lives in Unit 14 of Camp House 30 of the Fellowship City Work Placement Camp, also called WPC. And all 50 such camp houses littered the island south of Fellowship City, separated by Olam River and connected by an old bridge. Aside from the different colored exteriors of the buildings, all the camp houses are identical, each housing 50 units apiece. The young man exits Camp House 30 on the corner of Iris Street and Citizen Way, the main street of the WPC. As he jogs past Iris Street, east toward the bus stop near the entrance of WPC, he spies several people exiting camp houses far off the central thoroughfare. Days like today make me thankful we live on Citizen Way, he thinks, counting the many more blocks they'll be walking. I only wish we didn't live four blocks away from the bus stop any other day. He would have considered 3014 to be an ideal location, but running late as he is today, the distance appears infinite. This is going to be the longest run to the bus stop I've ever made in my life, he thinks, sprinting by Nvidia Street. But I'm fast for a man in a black suit, he chortles at the thought. All these other workers leaving their camp houses now and taking their sweet-ass time as they stroll toward the bus stop, probably looking at me and thinking, glad I'm not that guy. Ahead of him, he glimpses an older woman with salt-and-pepper brown hair tied up in a bun with white lace, walking at a steady pace. As he closes in on her, he recognizes the stereotypical black-and-white uniform of a French maid she's wearing. She must work for some richy-rich-mighties up in Emerald Hills, he thinks, a little jealous. They love dressing up their workers and crazy shit like that. I'm surprised she's living in the WPC and not in the normal slums with all the other preferred workers. I bet it's a new gig and she'll be moving on up real soon. He often ponders what life might be like if he lived outside of the WPC, wondering if a place in the normal slums or what the mighty call Southside Ghetto would truly afford more freedom at all. Having to wear a ridiculous outfit like that just to land a cushy job up there might not be worth it, he thinks, loosening his collar and adjusting his necktie as his short-lived jealousy fades away. He hurdles by, startling her. She jerks out her earbuds and yells, watch out! He waves his hand in the air without looking back or slowing his gait 
At the next block, he jumps up and high-fives the luxurious street sign. Twing! Stupid kid, barks the lady. He laughs, picking up his pace, trying to cut ahead of the many people leaving their homes for the 7 a.m. shifts. Come on, come on, he thinks, racing forward, trying to ignore the soft rumbling of a crowd. The noise builds, rising into a voluminous cacophony of chatter as he crosses Tristia Street. He can no longer ignore the sound of the gathered mass of people waiting in the bus line, not moving an inch. Son of a bitch, he exclaims, zipping by people of all shapes and sizes, costumed and uncostumed. In the distance, he spots a lone bus exiting Allen Bridge toward Citizen Way. He bolts toward the front of the line, passing a myriad of glowering faces. The weight of their judgment does nothing to slow him down. No cutting, a woman's voice shouts, but he disregards her and runs faster. The crowd's murmurs merge into some foreign-sounding condemnation where the words are unintelligible, but the tone is clear. I'm sorry, he apologizes, galloping past the gawking onlookers. I need to get to work. I can't be late. No one is fooled by his lip surface apology. But they do understand his dilemma. Not that his boss will. He's not the most forgiving about tardiness, and the recent promotion from the kitchen to the dining room floor would likely be the first thing on the chopping block. I don't want to be back in the kitchen all the time, he thinks. Or worse. Could be a lot worse. His eyes lock onto the bus as it creeps toward the bus stop. He rounds the front of the line, maneuvering through the crowds of other workers to inch closer to the door of the bus before it burps to a halt. He grins ear to ear. Mir steps away from the doorway. His smile rips from his face in a sudden jolt of panic as a massive reptilian tail drops in front of him like a boom barrier at a railroad crossing. Where do you think you're going? The guard inhumanly snarls. The young man lifts his head to meet the reptilian eyes of the guard who stands a good foot taller than his own five foot nine inch frame. The raised ridges of his scaly greenish-brown skin above and around his eyes crease with tension as he stares down the young man until he averts his eyes. They fall to the guard's chest where a laminate listing his name and badge number hangs by a lanyard around his gigantic neck. Officer Lester Lynch, badge number AH07341, he reads silently smirking, a-hole for one. The guard is clad in the usual uniform of a WPC guard, blue button-up, long sleeve shirt with the sleeves rolled up above his elbows because his forearms are just as giant as his neck, and modified black trousers with splits down each side and a not-so-black colored fabric sewn in to flare them out over his massive legs. Of course, the trousers are cut short above his monstrous green-scaled tridactyl feet that no shoes would ever fit. In the rear, his tail protrudes from an opening below the thick leather belt of his pants where a side holster hangs. I asked you a question, he growls, fingering the latch of his side holster. I'm late for work, answers the young man, raising his eyes back to the guard's leering lizard face. That's the bus I need to be on. He points to the bus behind the guard. His only movement is to draw the handheld scanner from his side holster, while an inhuman grunting resonates from somewhere within him. The young man shudders at the haunting sound, appraising the miniaturized, updated version of the data pads he uses to navigate the WebNet Mighty Base in the WPC common hubs. Shit, he thinks, tracking the guard's fat fingers, punching the screen. This is going to take too long. The guard seizes the young man by his left arm, wrapping his thick reptilian fingers around his wrist, and with one pointed thumbnail, raises the sleeve of the young man's shirt 
and jacket cuffs away to reveal an identity tag tattooed on his left forearm. He scans the ident tag and begins to read the results displayed on the screen. M.K. Rickson. It's Mario, interrupts the young man, resting his arm back and lowering his sleeve to cover it once more. Seriously, I'm extremely late, and that's my bus. I need to be at work by six. The guard ignores him, seizing Mario by the forearm again and forcing the sleeve. As he examines the alphanumeric code, his inner eyelids blink and vertical pupils dilate. Do we really need to do this right now? Mario says, trying to reclaim his arm. Going to be late. Ident 24VORVNO, your identity tag is defaced, states the guard. That is a violation. Yes, I know, Mario says, grimacing at the workers boarding the bus. Since you're new here, I'll give you a break. But I did this a long time ago and served my reprimand. It's all good now. Can I get on the bus, please? You cannot deface your identity tag. Right, Mario says, trying to slide past the guard. I was a stupid kid going through a lot, you know, puberty, the loss of my parents, being in the parent of my little sister. I'm good now. Won't ever do anything like that again. Sensing the motion, the guard claps down on Mario's arm tighter, snarling, Don't move! Listen, Mario says, snatching his arm away from the guard and standing as tall as he can. I've already been punished for this when I was a kid. There should be a note there on the registry about it. Maybe an asterisk by my number or a link for info or something. The guard touches the screen with a giant green clawed finger, opening a notes page as Mario moseys toward the bus. I'm sorry, Officer Lizard Lips, he says over his shoulder as he steps toward the bus, but I really need to go. The guard grasps his shoulder and spins him around. What did you call me? Officer Lester Lynch, he answers as the guard's eyes narrow with suspicion. Mario raises his hand in innocent protestation. Come on, I need to be on the bus so I'm not too late for work. The bus closes the door and departs without any regard for Mario. I guess you're going to be late, growls Officer Lizard Lips with a broad, serrated tooth smile. He points to the long line of people waiting for the buses. Get in line, like all the other citizens. Mario ambles back toward the end of the line, peering around for other possible venues to reach a bus faster. But at each vantage came a disadvantage in the guise of a mighty guard. Of course, all the WPC guards are mighty, but just like in the city, some more mighty than others. The mighty, thinks Mario. What a dumb name. How pretentious can they get? They think they're the gods of ancient Greece or something, and Fellowship City is their Mount Olympus. As he hikes back to the end of the line, he glares over his shoulder, scowling at the guard. Officer Lizard Lips doesn't even realize he's nothing but the shit these gods scrape off their shoes. The other mighty would stare him down if he even set any one of his three-clawed toenails into a fine downtown restaurant. They might nod acknowledgement thing for his service, but they'd whisper to one another, calling him a hybrid behind his back if he's lucky, a humanimal if he's unlucky. I've seen it happen. Webnet Mighty Base Search Results Hybrids Mightypedia Entry Of the many varieties of the mighty, the hybrids are those who possess animal-like qualities. Although they are more often found in task-based work and rarely serve in leadership positions, they are essential to the functioning of the mighty system. For some, their appearance is animalistic, giving them gifts that allow them to serve as laborers and muscle. See insectoids, amphibians, reptilians, birds, fuzzies, prehensiles. For others, their abilities derive from more base animal qualities. Hybrids with less animal-like appearances are often able to find more prominent positions within the mighty system. See screamers.
For more information, access WebNet MightyBase Profiles, a social networking platform where the Mighty can showcase their talents and cultivate relationships. In a city where almost everyone is a Mighty, being a Mighty doesn't mean much, thinks Mario, reaching the end of the line. But not being a Mighty means even less. Get in line like all the other citizens, the guard's inhuman growl reverberates in his mind as a memory washes over him like a wave on a shoreline. He starts to view the world through the eyes of his past self, standing in the line for the bus, tugging on his father's hand. He gazes up at the ghost of his father and beams with the excited glee of a child. Suddenly, a ruckus broke out at the bus stop in front of him. As Mario craned his neck around, trying to view the scuffle, his father tucked him close and hurried forward in the line. Several guards rushed out from different posts and started yelling, Citizens disperse! Return to your domicile! Bus stops are now closed! Mario's father didn't stop. He held Mario tight under his left arm and clutched the permits in his right hand, flashing them to the guards. We have permits, he yelled. It's my son's birthday. I'm taking him to Fellowship City Park to play. One of the guards charged forward, clasping Mario's father by the right shoulder and hauling him away. The quick jolt knocked Mario off kilter. He would have fallen if not for his father's grip on him. Please, the permit is only good for today, he pleaded. Took months to get one. Please let us through. The guard lifted Mario's father to his face and snarled. Citizen, you need to return to your domicile before something bad happens to you and your son. Mario flinched, catching a whiff of the guard's foul breath from the safety of his father's protection. Please, his father begged. It's his birthday. I just want him to swing and slide on the real playground. The guard shoved them backward, growling. Leave now, or I'm taking you both to SIC. They turned away and shuffled back to their home, 1441 Luxurious Street, between Dollet Way and Potter Road. What does citizen mean, Papa? Citizen used to be such an important word, Mario, answered his melancholic father. It meant you were a legitimate member of the society you lived in. His face darkened and tenor slowed. Unfortunately, it no longer has that positive connotation and now refers to those lesser than the mighty. It's like how in those movies where the cops or military call people civilians. We're just not like them, Mario, and they're not shy about letting us know. His recollection of the moment is not perfect but close, like revisiting an old film tarnished with the imperfections that come with age. He then remembers with slight embarrassment how he believed his impressive memory was a power like those of the mighty. His mouth curls up to one side. He imagines it is the exact same sideways smile he saw upon his father's face when he told him that he was a mighty and could free his family from the WPC. The curl withers away as he recalls his father defining the word eidetic. Without this inherent skill, he would likely not be a waiter at one of the finest dining establishments in Fellowship City, QT's House of Jacks. Webnet Mighty-based search results, QT's House of Jacks. Also see The Realizer, Mightypedia, entry. Owned by Mighty Restaurateur, The Realizer, QT's House of Jacks is the latest hotspot in a long line of culinary experiences curated by The Realizer. Unlike his earlier and now defunct adventure dining experiences, like Gothamopolis and Glory Battles Arena, QT's House of Jacks is a simple bar and grill. The restaurant resembles a 1950s-style drive-in restaurant with a dance floor in the center and old cars used for booths. Car hops roller skate their way around the room, while a roster of characters found in a slew of films by one of the realizer's favorite pre-World War III directors serve as waitstaff for the mighty patrons. With nothing but time on his hands, Mario marvels at the Fellowship City skyline north of the island where he lives. 
squinting to make out the faint, colorful vapor trails of flyers zooming around the skyscrapers. He's reminded of something else his father once told him. My grandfather, your great-grandfather, taught me about comic books. He said he'd love to read about these people with superpowers and wished he could be one of them. It would be amazing to be the one person with powers among so many without. What good he could have done for them. Now we live in a world where so many have those kinds of powers. I bet life for them is so boring. The mighty are the majority, thinks Mario, shaking his head before turning contemplatively back. They have all the wealth, fame, power, and superpowers, but they are bored. Every day, they come into the restaurant with some air of authority, making pointless demands of the waitstaff just because they can. Something to make themselves feel important. Their lives are so mundane. They are stuck in a world where they are unable to use their powers to any potential, neither good nor evil, because of the monks. Webnet Mighty Base Search Results Monks. See Monastery of Soul and Luna. Mighty Pedia Entry. Only the highest level of mighty are permitted to enter the Monastery of Sol and Luna. The monks are seer paths, having the ability of sight, seeing what is happening around them or near sight, into the past or hindsight, or into the future or foresight, and telepathy, hearing and communicating through others, animals, or machines, and physically or mentally controlling others, animals, or machines. All monks have some level of sight and telepathy. For example, some monks may only have nearsight, seeing the world around them, and may only be able to communicate with animals, as zoopaths or machines like technopaths. A rare few have the highest skill in all levels of sight and telepathy, including zoopathy and technopathy. These monks are called seer omnipaths, like Sol and Luna, the first of their kind. Sea-related, the Enclave. The five members of the Enclave of the Monastery of Sol and Luna are all seer omnipaths who keep constant vigil over Fellowship City as they strive for omnivalence, or the all-choice, seeing all choices made by everyone, all at once. Because they are aware of all that is happening around them in the present and future, they can stop any misdeed from occurring by directing the lower-level monks to police the mighty. Today, there is little need for policing among the mighty, but every once in a while, an aberrant citizen might be punished and taken to the Solitary Internment Camp, or SIC, which lies 75 miles west of Fellowship City beyond the Summerland Desert. Hey, Mario, you going to move up or what? Lanny, a smallish hunchback of a man with a kind heart and a shrill voice, asks from behind. Oh, yeah, sorry, Mario says, snapping back to reality and scooting up in the line. He glances at the clock on the watchtower. 6.17. He shakes his head. No worries, kid. Only making sure you're not standing dead on us. Standing dead. Mario thinks. I've heard that before. Woo. Oh my goodness. All right, well, there you go. That was Jared K. Chapman reading the first chapter to his debut novel, To Have or Have Not. Hey, he did a great job. Uh, the book just came out in September, and it's got some great reviews already. It's, it's doing really good on Amazon, and um, I'm just so happy for him. As I said before, make sure you're clicking that link in the show notes for Jared and uh, all of his social media links in there and that uh, that really neat Facebook group. Don't forget to also check out our sponsors and podcast friends alike and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next week when I'm back with an all new author, a new book, and a new sample chapter. Take care, everybody. We're going to see you again real soon. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.